God chooses Abraham for no apparent reason. We meet a mysterious priest king, and we talk about the joys of circumcision. Well, welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, it's going to be a great morning, and uh, we've uh, this is our second week, right? That's right. It's been a joy so far. And uh, this week we're going to continue in our book, uh, in the book of Genesis. We're going to be reading through chapters uh, 16 through 27. Just right up front, there is way too much content in these early parts of the yeah. Bible um, for us to talk about in this podcast. Just hands down. So if you have questions about this, just hit us up and we'd love to have a conversation. And we'll um, probably get to chapter 22 this week. But it, but we'll kind of deal with the Abraham story and then we'll get into the, the rest of the patriarchs. Right, right. So, so some people are very like particular though. They're very OCD and they're like, why haven't you covered exactly what I'm reading? So don't worry, we'll, we'll get there. We promise. Hopefully. Mm. Uh, yeah. So let's start with this question, Brandon. How important is the book of Genesis as a whole? Yeah, we didn't have time to talk about this last week because we just hit the ground running and covered, you know, some of the most important chapters of the Bible. So I wanted to, to take some time to think about this. Genesis is so important because it sets the foundation for all of Scripture and for really all of, all of theology. Theology meaning how we know and understand God, right? So Genesis sets that trajectory um, and the first few chapters are so critical in that, right? I mean, we saw so many themes about who we are, who God is. We saw God as creator, as sovereign, mm. at hit the power of his word. We saw who man is, right? We saw man and woman as the image of God, first and foremost. Yeah, there's, um, crea- there's creation order. Male and female were created. Yeah, male yeah. and female. We, we're working beings. We're worshiping beings. We're mm. resting. I mean, all of these things... If you just know Genesis one and two, you know more about humanity than mm. than if you take you know your major anthropology right. at a university. I mean, there's so much there to describe God, to describe humanity, and so this sets the foundation for everything else. But it's also going to be God's story or the beginning of God's story, the seed mm. of God's story through His people and how it points us to Jesus. All of that's contained in Genesis. So these first four weeks or whatever that we're going through Genesis, um, this is so important to get a good understanding of Genesis because if you don't get this, you're going to miss a lot of things in the rest of the Bible. Right. And it's really, I mean, it's it's no secret that so many of the attacks by um, certain, I guess you could say, Christian liberals, meaning they don't believe in the, the Bible as what it says, is uh, is toward Genesis. Yeah. Because if you can take out this piece, and if we can't trust what God says, right? If we listen to what the serpent said to Eve, which is, did God actually say? And that's the question with Genesis, right? Did God actually say all these things in Genesis? Did this actually happen? Then it's a, it becomes a house of cards, right? Everything begins to fall down. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, you, you often hear arguments like Genesis uh, 1, is, is especially 1, is just poetry. There's no... Uh, actual um, substance or truth behind that claim. It's just an idea. So. Yeah, yep, exactly. Well, let's let's kind of just rewind just a little bit. Uh, last week we ended with the Tower of Babel, so let's just pick up from there and talk about the importance of the Tower of Babel and, and what that was all about. Good, yeah. So, so, yeah, we just briefly touched on the Tower of Babel, and so there's a lot more here in the story. And, um, and what we saw is that these people, I got to actually turn to Genesis here, these people in Babel have come together to oppose God's will, right? They're building a tower. They decided to build a tower of some sort. And the idea behind this tower, you know, most, most people would agree. This is some sort of uh, ziggurat, right? Because of the location. What's 
ziggurat. Yeah, ziggurat, which would be a sort of a step pyramid, right? Which uh, um, you so know, it's I'm not sure like the smooth, pictures. Smooth side pyramid. It's a step pyramid. That's yeah, that's right. So it's a, it's a, a giant staircase essentially. And so what? There's kind of two different views as to what this tower would have represented. But we know first of all that they're that they are building this in opposition to God. Mm-hmm. Right, this is their way of making. It says they want to make their name great. Verse four. That's the motivation. Right now, how does this tower do it? Well, the the, the idea of this of this tower of the ziggurat would have been um, in ancient religions would have been one of two things. It would have either been a, a sort of staircase by which somebody could ascend to God. I remember the old um, the old Exodus movie with like Charlton Heston. You ever see that one? Uh, parts of it, yes. Okay, yeah. So there's Remember, like a I scene didn't grow up as Tower a Christian, so, Yeah, so yeah. You, you missed out on all these great yeah. you know, old films. But uh. there's a scene where they climb the tower and like throw a spear at God to like mm. you know defy God. Did they come close to him? Uh, I I don't think so. I mm. think they might have fallen a little bit short. But I'll have to watch that one again. It's a good one. It's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but uh, but the other view, which which is more been discovered more more modern times, is that it's actually a way of creating a staircase for the gods to descend down to to man. Interesting. And so either one is possible, I think, but either way, the meaning is still the same, right? I mean, the the Tower of Babel is a picture of human religion in its essence, which is either to give humanity a way that they can ascend to God, they can be like God, like the serpent said in Genesis 3, or it can lower God to make God God like them. Yeah. So, so either way, that's it's kind of the same meaning. It's either seeing yourselves as greater or seeing God as lesser, which usually end up being the same. Two sides yeah, of the same coin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, love yourself, crazy. But but we see that in in chapter eleven, we see that they are in verse four, looking to make their name great and to not be dispersed over the earth. So to disobey God's command to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. So so how is it a blessing that 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 God dispersed all those people? Like why is it, like that seems like a harsh thing? Why is it a blessing? Well, I think it is it is a harsh thing. I mean, obviously God is opposing them. Right. And he's she chooses to go about this in a way that's difficult for people. I mean, that this has obviously caused a lot of division between nations throughout all the world. The fact that we can't speak the same language, that's a huge obstacle. But God is going to achieve his purpose, which is to fill the earth with hum- humans that um, that have the image of him, mm. right? So that's that's the goal. Now the problem is if you're if you're spreading people with the image of God that are also sinful, then it seems to be counterproductive, right? So there's going to have to be an event at some point that reverses Babel in a significant way, right? Which we'll we'll talk about later. But but that's sort of the significance of of the Tower of Babel. Now notice that the the there's some ties between the Tower of Babel account and the story of Abraham. Oh, or, yeah. or Abram, as we meet him, first of all. So Abram is really um, the key player in the book of Genesis. I mean, there's right. a lot a lot about him. So everything connects to, to him. Um, Joseph gets a lot of, lot of time, a lot of space for Joseph, but Abraham is sort of the, the seminal figure. So what we see, first of all, is we see that Abram is of the line of Shem. So right. remember, we've been tracing the, the seed of the woman, where, where is the offspring going to come from that's going to crush the serpent, Genesis right. 3.15? And uh, it's Shem's line that's going to come through, right? So the three three sons of Abraham, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, right? So Shem is where all the Semitic people come, come from. So Shem, uh, we see his line in chapter 11, and it's traced down to a man named Terah in verse 27 of chapter 11. Right. 
and Terah, now we see that phrase again we talked about last week, but the generations, these are the generations of Terah. That's that Toledot formula where we get the word Genesis from. Um, that's that key phrase that structures the whole book of Genesis. And we see in his line, well, first of all, we see that he lives in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. So, so verse 28 of chapter 11, that they, they're from the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he has a son named Abram, who will later be called Abraham. So Ur of the Chaldeans, maybe most people don't know where that is, but Ur of the Chaldeans is, is part of the land known as Babel, Babylon. Right. So we get that, that, that's where the word comes from, right? So Babylon, the Chaldeans, these are the same people. So Abram comes from the same location as the Tower of Babel. So why would God choose Abram? to be the blessing, uh, a blessing to the world in such a great way that God's going to be asking. We're going to see in, in the Abrahamic covenant, God's going to bless his, the whole world through him. Like why him? Why Abraham? I, I have no idea. I mean, we can see a lot of reasons why we would think God wouldn't choose Abraham. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one is if he's from these people. I mean, it's been said the first Jew was a Gentile. I'm, that's, that's an interesting thing, right? <laughs> I mean, the first, like the, the two cities of God, or the city of God and the city of man are kind of represented through Jerusalem and Babylon. Right. But Abraham comes from Babylon mm. in a real sense. So that's strange. And in fact, we actually, we actually know later in the Bible that Abraham was also an idolater. Mm. He, he worshiped idols. In Joshua 24, verse 2, Joshua says this explicitly. Right. That that Abraham and, and his and his you know family were idolaters. Mm. They were taken out of idolatry and out of this wicked generation and this wick, wicked place, and brought to be God's people. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, I've also heard it said how odd of God to choose the Jews. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it rhymes, right? I mean, but it's very true. Like I, we don't know why. And even this morning, I was reading in Deuteronomy, um, you know, chapter six through through nine. And how many times God says to them, it wasn't for this or that reason that I chose you. Right. It wasn't because you were great. It wasn't because you're numerous. It was just because I love you. Yeah. Because God chose to display his love to Abraham and to make him one of the most important people in the history of the world. Amen. And what a great reminder to us, right? Yeah. So why does God choose us? Well, because he loves us. That's right. So, so we see that parallel between the story of Babel. And we also see this important detail in chapter 11 in verse 30. So, so Abram's name means exalted father. Right. So that's a very promising name. And of course, if we're looking at a, a story in which fatherhood and children and having descendants and offspring, that keyword offspring is so important, that's a name that bodes really well. Right. But there's a huge problem, which is that in verse 30, it says Sarai, his wife, was barren and had no child. Hmm. So... He's called exalted father, but he's not a father. That's, that's a problem. That's a tension in, that we're going to see resolved, obviously, but, um, but that's a big deal. If you're, you're hoping for the, promise, uh, the promised one to come, the Messiah, as we'll know him eventually, and you see someone without a child, that those, those, those women in Scripture that are barren, that's a very weighty thing, more than we could possibly know. It's mm -hmm. a weighty thing today. But it's a very weighty thing if you're looking at the story of Scripture right? And, and how important it was that Jesus would come from this line. But God loves to do miracles and overcome impossible obstacles. Yeah, amen. So <clears throat> we're in chapter 12. We meet, this, uh, we meet this man, Abram, 
we see his wife is barren. But then we get this weird part of the story about halfway through chapter 12. And Abram seems to be giving away his wife uh, to Pharaoh. And explain this. What's up with this story? Well, well, we'll get there, but we got we to touch on uh, the beginning of chapter 12, which is super important first. Oh, um, right. The blessing, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. This, is, this is super important. So what we see is... There's another, there's another important parallel with the Tower of Babel. We'll, we'll, we will get to that in a second, which it is an interesting question. But one of the things that, that God, God promises a lot of things to Abram in chapter 12, right? He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of mm. you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Right. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the, the, the call of Abraham. This is such a key passage. And one of the things that stands out that, that relates to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel is this statement that he, the God will make Abram's name great. Remember the, the motivation for the Tower of Babel was yeah, let's great. make our name great. Right. And God, sin can't do that. And instead God's, God extends a blessing to Abraham and says, I'm going to make your name great. So this is the anti- Tower of Babel in a real sense. Mm. This is the this is the, the complete opposite event. God choosing one person, a humble person, making him into a nation, right, and bringing him to a special place for a special purpose to make his name great. Mm. And the the promises are really threefold, right? That to make him a great nation, to give him uh, land, right? The, the, or you could say really it's land, it's seed, and it's blessing, right? Land, so the nation and the actual location they're going to be in. Right. The land to the Jews is so important. It's so important. And you can see even today, a few square miles of, of this earth, more blood has been spilt for that land right. than anywhere else on the earth by far. Um, that land is so important to the Jews and to the Muslims and to Christians. Yeah. Even today, tons of blood is being spilt over there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough place. So there's the, the land blessing. There's the, the uh, promise of seed. Right. I'm going to give you an offspring where I'm going to make you a great nation means you have to have children and then I'm going to bless you. So we saw in Genesis three, one of the big themes we've, we've seen is that of curse. Sin brings curse to the earth. So the question that we should be asking is how are people going to return to the state of Eden, right. to the state of blessing where God is with his people and is giving all these good gifts to them. And what we see here is that Abraham, Abram is going to be blessed and not only that, but he will become a conduit for the blessing of God to all the other nations. Mm. So it's, the story is almost narrowing in a sense. So we, we start out with this huge broken world, and then it goes to Noah. And now it's to this, this, through this one man, this seed and blessing to everyone is going to come. So the story is like narrowing down to this one family group. And then it's going to expand again eventually, as we'll see as we read you know, through the Old Testament. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. So it's narrowing in, and we're seeing that the the hinge at this point of God's salvation plan is Abraham and mm. his family. And that's so important to understand. That's why Genesis is focusing in on them because we've seen how good the world was, how it got broken. Right. And the fact that man has no hope. So we saw in Adam, obviously, and in Noah as well, and the tower of Babel. So how is blessing going to come back to the earth? Abraham. Abraham's going to be that one to, to reverse the curse. So back to my question a little bit ago, like, so we have this, um, this amazing blessing bestowed on Abram. Um, he's going to be a blessing. He's going to get blessed too. Um, but then it seems like the, the story gets broken again. I mean, just like Noah got, got drunk, Adam 
disobey God and ate the fruit. Seems like God's choosing bad leaders to, yeah. to, to, to be as uh, the main focus of the of the Bible. But what happens? What happens here? Halfway through twelve, with Abram giving away his wife. Yeah. So obviously, there's a reminder of how imperfect the those that God chooses are. Right. And and Abram, just like every person in Scripture, is going to have to have a time of refining, and God's going to actually separate people from him. Um, his family is going to be separated from him, so he will be alone um, with just his immediate family. It'll be him and God, and that's how God's going to teach him. So we see some of the character flaws of Abram in this passage. But more, th- there's something much bigger going on here, right? Because the original audience of the book of Genesis was, was written by Moses, right? written by Moses after the Exodus, and so Moses is leading God's people through the wilderness right after they've been delivered from Egypt, right? They've, they, they had this situation in which they're, they're, they were threatened as a nation. Their offspring was threatened. Um, remember, they came to Egypt originally because of a famine, right? Joseph brought them there because of a famine. Right. They were there for hundreds of years. But there came a point where the, the offspring of, um, of the woman, so to speak, the, the promised Messiah, was, was threatened because Pharaoh was killing their children. Pharaoh was slaughtering infants. And so there was a threat of would God's people be cut off and not have uh, any descendants eventually. And God uses Moses. He uses a set of plagues to bring his people out of Egypt. So you're that people and you're reading this book and then you get, you get Genesis and you read it for the first time. You probably hear it for the first time. (laughs) And you hear a story in which Abraham came to the land of Egypt because of a famine and Abraham also endangered the seed right, by allowing his wife right. to be brought into, into Pharaoh's harem. Um, that's, a, that's a big deal because if Abraham, this guy who's supposed to be the blessing for the whole world, if he fails, that's it. Right. I mean, that there's, that's it. There's no, there's no hope. And so the seed is threatened, but God uses, God overcomes human sin, and he actually uses a set of plagues to bring uh, to bring Abraham out of Egypt with great wealth, just like in the Exodus. So the story, it's like the same story. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you, you could not have missed that if you were the people of Israel at that time. And so I think what God is doing here, what he's, what he's trying to show them is that God has been the same forever. He works in the same patterns and he has a love for his people and he's always been overcoming their sinfulness mm-hmm. and, and their um, lack of forethought, right? And their their chaos and all that stuff. He's been working in the midst of that to bring salvation. Right. So we get a little later here in Genesis. And um, if you guys know your New Testament at all, Hebrews chapter seven, we have this uh, we have this very strange and mysterious character, this priest named Melchizedek. What's up with Melchizedek? And the biggest question that I always get asked in Bible studies or talking with people is Melchizedek. Jesus. Yeah, so uh no, I don't think he is Jesus. So but let's talk a little bit about Melchizedek, who he is and the setup for him. So Abram and Lot separate in chapter 13. And that's important like I said because I think God is what he's doing is he's separating right. Lot and the, the idolatrous family that Abram right. has, kind of family from him so that he can have him alone. Mm-hmm. So that's part of why they have to split up in God's providence. But Abraham intervenes and helps Lot in chapter 14 because what mm-hmm. happens is um, the, these kings come and they raid. It's kind of probably a raiding party. They raid these cities and they capture a bunch of spoil of, of war and right. also Lot and his family. So Abraham sends a troop after them. 
they rescue Lot and they take all these possessions. And then Abraham takes all those possessions and he gives a, t- a tithe to this figure named Melchizedek. Now, I, lo- I love the fact that Abram is tithing someone else's money. Yeah. Uh, that's very generous <laughs> well, of you, I are, guess. But... Are, are we all tithing God's money? <laughs> yes, that, this is true. This is true. Touche. Um, but Abram comes to this figure who we don't know much about, but we know he is Melchizedek, which means king of, of righteousness. Right. He's the king of Salem, which is late, later known as Jerusalem. And he is both a king and a priest. Hmm. Right, He comes to them. And so Abraham defers, sorry, I keep using the, the, the future name of Abraham, Abram, right. as he's known now, defers to Melchizedek, honors him by giving him a tithe, and Melchizedek blesses him. And so the question is, what's going on with Melchizedek? Well, I think what we have here is not, some people have seen a, this as a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, which poses a lot of problems because Jesus wasn't human before he became human. Um, he he would have been spirit, and so there would have been a lot a lot of challenges with that. Of what does it mean for Jesus to have this kingship and all that? But no, I think how how Hebrews seven uses him refers to him is as a picture of what was going to be realized in Jesus. That before there was ever a king of of the Jews in Jerusalem, there was this king who was both a king and a priest who combined both those offices, those offices that were totally separated by God right. bec- because of the, you know, kind of a separation of powers idea. Jesus is going to bring those together and he's going to realize um, the, the full purpose of both of those offices in yeah, both so. ruling and being our sovereign and also being our intercessor and the mm. one who brings a sacrifice for us. So small foretaste of what the coming seed is actually going to be like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that this was always written in Israel's history. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't something God thought of later. He was showing signs of it before he'd even he'd even given an offspring to Abraham. Right. You <laughs> yeah, know, that's like, true. <laughs> like way before there were any kings, way before there was any ruler, there was already this idea that that one who could be both of those things mm. would be greater. Amen. But it's not realized until Jesus Christ. So that's who Melchizedek is, and he is an important figure, but he's not mentioned a whole lot. You know, Psalm one ten and obviously Three times, in, in yeah. Hebrews, you know, yeah. so well, let's go to let's go to chapter fifteen. This is um, this is such an important chapter. So in fifteen, we've seen we've seen God make promises to Abraham. Right? We've seen seen him tell him he's going to bless him. But God hasn't instituted a formal covenant. Mm-hmm. Right? A covenant. This is a big idea in the Old Testament. But a covenant is a a an oath made in blood. It's a it's a formal promise. But to just call it a promise is way too light. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, this was one that would be instituted with a sacrifice. It was a solemn oath. And if you disobeyed it, you could die. So I have a great question for us at GCC. Uh, why do our members sign a covenant then without blood? Well, I mean, they, they do. The Jesus' blood. Oh. But yeah, so Dang the covenant it. of the... Well, and, and we can get there eventually, yeah, with the covenants. But right, our covenant, the new covenant, is instituted by the blood of Jesus. Right. right. So we make a covenant in light of that. But of course, that covenant is not... You don't. There's not like an explicit statement in the Scripture that you have to make a covenant with the local church, but maybe we could start sacrificing... Or just cut off a finger or something. Um, make it a little more interesting. I don't know. Something to think about. Next elders meeting. Well, we're going to be talking about circumcision soon, so maybe that's something we can. That's look true. At. That's true. <laughs> so, so, so God's covenant with Abraham in chapter fifteen. This, is, I mean, if Genesis three fifteen is one of the most important verses in the Old Testament, Genesis fifteen is one of the most important chapters of the Old Testament 
I mean, what happens here is absolutely massive for how it points us forward to Jesus and his work. Not to mention a weird passage. It, it is a weird passage. I'll, I'll give you that. So, I mean, it's the Old Testament. There's so like a stuff pot. Is weird. It's com- okay, come on. Verse 17, it's weird. There's a pot floating through a bunch of dead things. That's true. That's true. So, so what's happening here? So first of all, God makes a promise again, again to Abraham. And he's been doing this a lot. But mm-hmm. he makes a promise and says, I'm going to give you an offspring. And he says, look at the stars. If you can number the stars, that's how many offspring you will have. I mean, when God makes his promises, he goes big. That's big. That, that's, that's big, yeah. <laughs> and it says in verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So that verse will be quoted a ton right. in the New Testament. That is a huge verse. Because you have to think about the context that this is happening in, right? This is before circumcision, which is Genesis 17. So this is before there's any sort of law that that Abraham has to follow, any sign of being in the people of God. Right. This is before Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. This is before Leviticus. This is before any of the law of God is given. We see that somebody is declared righteous by God. Right. Not for what they do, but simply for faith. Hmm. So the idea of being being counted to him as righteousness is that Abraham is not righteous, but God is crediting to his account as if he is righteous. Right. Yeah, we definitely know Abram is not a righteous man. He's already given away his wife. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we know that there's huge problems here, and so that statement is is cannot be overstated. Really, <laughs> what's happening there? I can't get over the sovereignty of God, even in these first few chapters of of Genesis. We see God calling all these men that are wicked for no apparent reason is calling them to be a great blessing and to receive blessing from him by no merit of their own works. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And just that the patience he has with them and with his people later, I mean, God is a, a loving God. And when he chooses to bestow his love on somebody, you, you just can't get away from it. Yeah. It's an incredible thing. So, so what does God do? Well, he has, because Abraham asks him, you know, in verse eight, Oh Lord, how shall I know that I shall possess the land? So he mm. promises an offspring again. He promises in the land again, but Abraham wants some sort of guarantee. And so what God does is he says, you know, bring me these animals and cut them in half and lay the pieces out, right? So you put one half on one side, one half on the other, and you make a trail of, of dead carcass pieces, basically. And this was, this was a picture of, um, of the covenant ratification ceremonies in, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament times, which is what they would do is they would cut these pieces apart. They would walk through them hand in hand, and they would say the, say the promise, say the covenant, and that would be a symbol to them of what would happen to them if they disobeyed or broke the covenant, right? That, that was the picture. Um, in fact, we see this in Jeremiah thirty four eighteen, where God says that you're going to, you're going to become like the pieces of the animals that you walk through because right. you've been breaking covenant. So, so that's clearly the idea of, of these pieces. And what we see, so you would assume that you know, Abraham and, and God are going to walk through the pieces together. And God gives to him, it says, as the sun fell down, verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a great darkness fell on him. And then God gives his promise again. So it's a pretty long text, but he's, he says to him, you're going to inherit this land, and in verse, um, and he says uh, that you're going to actually be foreigners in a land that's not your own for 400 years. You're going to be enslaved for 400 years. 
But verse 16, they'll come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So this again, I mean, if you're, if you're reading the book of Genesis as God's people who have just left Egypt, you can see now in hindsight, God had a plan the entire time, right? This was not, this was not out of God's control. God knew it was going to happen and he was working through it to accomplish his purposes. Right. Because for some, some reason he was also being patient with the Amorites, the people of Canaan, where they were going to be headed. He was patient with them to not judge them until they'd had 400 years Mm. to sin. Right. I mean, that's a lot of patience that God has even for wicked people. Crazy. And then the most amazing part, as, as you know, Keith, but the most amazing part is in verse 17. It says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and he repeats the, he repeats the covenant. So Abraham is paralyzed, right? This, this sleep kind of falls on him. This is paralysis. And God, symbolized by the, the flame, right, the smoke and the, and the fire, goes through the pieces alone. Now, again, the, the normal thing would be to walk through together, which is to say, if either of us breaks our half of the covenant, right. we, we die. God walks through alone, taking upon himself both obligations of the covenant, the obligations of Abram and the obligations mm. of, of God. And essentially saying, if this doesn't come to pass, or if you are disobedient to the covenant, God himself will bear the curse of the covenant. God himself will pay the price for the breaking of that covenant. Yeah. I mean, isn't it amazing how just as Abraham's imputed righteousness is from beginning to end, from choosing to sustaining to finishing is all God. It's nothing to do with Abraham and his actions, though the Lord is going to use him and his family and his actions to bless the world. But it's God is the one that's upholding it from the biggest part of the story to the, to the minutest detail of Abraham falling asleep right here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. God is, God is fully in control and God has a plan that is incredibly detailed. Cause obviously, I mean, we usually talk about this at the, at the end, but this clearly is pointing to, to Jesus, right. right? That Jesus is going to be the one who has to fulfill both sides of these covenants. Right. He has to be obedient as a man would, but also, um, bring the blessings that God would because he is both man and God. I mean, it's so clear why we needed Jesus to be both man and God. <clears throat> cool. Well, let's keep moving along. Chapter 17. Um, um, there's some things we'll skip over here, but um, the covenant is uh, reiterated here. And what and what happens here? It's a, it's a joyful thing. Yeah, I, l- I like your phrasing there, the joys of circumcision. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Got stuff in my throat. Um, so, so God reiterates his promise in Genesis 17, and he changes Abram's name, right? He says in verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Finally, we're talking about Yeah, I know. It's Abraham. so confusing at this point. But so Abraham, um, so from, from a, an exalted father to a father of many nations or a father of a multitude, hmm. that's what Abraham means. So it's a slight variation. But um, we'll see this as a theme throughout the Bible, that God comes in, changes people's names, changes their identity, changes their trajectory for their life. Right. And he's also going to change Sarai's name to Sarah. Yeah, you see this in the Old Testament. Yeah. You see it in the New Testament, Paul, Saul, all that. Exactly. So, And then he gives, so he reminds him of the, the promise again, and he gives him a symbol, which is circumcision. Amen. <laughs> An important symbol in the Old Testament, right? Yeah, um, but why circumcision? Like... 
Like, how do you even know you're part of the circumcision club? Like, is everyone just walking around naked? I don't think so. That's weird. No, th- yeah, it is. It is super weird. So, like, why is this sign? Because, and I've I've had people ask me that. Very astute people ask that, just like you asking. Wait, why would you have a sign that you can't see? Right? Like, <laughs> what? How is that an important sign or a marker if you'll only see it if someone's naked? I mean, you're not checking that. Should we explain what circumcision is? Do we? No. Just Google circumcision. No, absolutely not. Just don't. Google videos. That, no, don't. <laughs> Do not, yeah, if you don't know, if you don't know, ask your mom. Even if you're even if you're 50 years old, you can still call your mom, ask her what circumcision is. But <laughs> it's a very gross, very intimate, personal uh, operation, right? It's a strange thing. So why is this? Why is this the this the image? Well, actually, I think most people don't realize is that circumcision was pretty common in the ancient Near East, um, in in a lot of nations around them. They practiced circumcision when you became an adult. Some it was if you were in the priestly class, you were circumcised. So it wasn't an uncommon symbol. And you can see that because there's one nation that's referred to as uncircumcised. Right? There's one, there's one, there's one giant guy who's referred to as an uncircumcised Philistine, right? Goliath. So the Philistines were set apart because they didn't have circumcision. So it was actually pretty common. The difference here is that it happens at at birth, right? Everyone is part of it and it happens to everyone at birth. So there's a, there's a few things that are important about circumcision. One is not to be too, uh, too indiscreet here, but is the location, like where it occurs on your body. That is an important thing, right? So the fact that it's the, the reproductive organ of the male is very significant. And the re- and the reason for this is because it was sort of a picture of unlocking or, or uncapping the uh, procreative potential of a man. That was sort of the part of the picture, right? So it is related in some sense to that seed blessing, the, the offspring that's going to come, that they are looking to that. But more than that, it's, it's the very fact that it's intimate and it's bloody that makes it such an important symbol because it's a picture of cutting off. It's a picture of, well, like we said, every... Every uh, covenant is inaugurated by blood. blood yeah. And in this sense, it's a cutting off a small piece of your body, right? It's, it's a picture of sacrifice. Yeah, it's painful. It's, you know. Yeah, it's, pa- it's painful, right? Because um, death is, right? And, and, and blood and all that stuff is. So it's very, very important that all those things are associated with someone's entrance into the covenant people. So there's, there's sort of two sides to it. And that actually, we'll we'll talk about later how that atta- uh, you know connects to the New Testament as well, right? So we have uh, this covenant uh, and this covenant sign, uh, and then God makes another promise to Abram. What does He say? So He reiterates the the promise of a son. You see this kind of uh, chapter seventeen, chapter eighteen. There's a lot of the same mm-hmm. uh, promises, and the and the, the the common thread is that Abraham and Sarah both laugh at God, right? And I, I love that. They, they laugh at him, and then God says, I want you to name the child laughter, <laughs> right? Like I just, I, God is just like delighting in the I told you so moment of a, you know, 90-plus-year-old woman uh, and a yeah, man right, having yeah. a, a child together. Right. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So name him laughter so that you can remember <laughs> how insane this is, you know? So I love that. Again, and, uh, God's in control, right? He's making this story happen. Yeah, for like, sure. In the most unlikely people, it's crazy. For sure. Yep. So, so God, God delivers on that promise. But uh, chapter nineteen, well, I should say chapter eighteen, the second half there is very important as well. 
So Abraham actually begins to Intercession. intercede yeah. for the the evil people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and he he's bartering with God and arguing with God. And that's a really significant thing because God actually invites him in mm. in chapter, you know, seven or sorry, chapter eighteen, verse seventeen and following. He invites him in to have this conversation with him, to be a mediator for wicked people. And this is a picture of what Israel will do for the nations. Right. They will be a kingdom of priests. They will intercede for others. But we're we're short on time, so we probably can't talk about that too much right now. Right. Yeah, let's let's talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. So so what happens here is um I mean very simply is angels come to to inspect the town, so to speak, to, to check it out, and they are you know, assaulted by the men of the city. Right. Lot is hospitable. He brings them in. Right. The men of the city come and they want to to rape these angels. Right. I mean, this just the epitome of depravity in so many ways. And so God, the angels strike them with blindness. They get Lot they and get his family out, out of yeah. the town and they devastate the entire town. And um, yeah, it's a pretty harsh picture of God's judgment, but it's an important one. And we see in this as well that Abraham and Lot are separating more. Because Abraham, we don't know if he ever really knows that Lot is still around. Mm. Lot goes and hides in this cave out right. in the mountains. And uh, and by the way, we see some of where some of Israel's neighbors come from in this passage, right? If you trivia, Bible trivia, you want to know who's someone whose dad, uncle, and grandfather <laughs> were the same person. Um, that's the story of Lot and his two kids that he has. They both have yeah. those three things in common, right? I, I, the song, I'm my own grandpa. It's pretty pretty awful, right? Incestuous <laughs> stuff happening here. But this is where the nations of Moab and Ammon come from that are going to be neighbors to Israel. So we have to understand that family background. You think your family is dysfunctional? I think my family is like, no, nothing comes close to, yeah, yeah, just to read this. The, huh? Just read the Bible and you'll figure out if you're yes. so bad off. <laughs> Okay, and we see something awesome that happens. What actually happens? Yeah, First, uh, yeah. chapter 21. That's right. Isaac is born. The, yeah. the promised child comes. He's named Isaac, and we have this incredible hope, and then it seems to all be dashed in mm. chapter 22, where God God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the mountain of Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice yeah. there. And chapter 22, is, I mean, just a heartbreaking passage. Um, it says, in, you know, in verse 6, Abraham takes him to the mountain and they took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the knife and they both went, both went together. I think of the weight of that walk, not just that it's your son, but it's the, the seed of the blessing and all that. It's crazy. I mean, you've been waiting for this for, I mean, 100 years. Right, yeah. That's that's unbelievable. Yeah, and so, and so you know, Isaac asks him, well, where's the, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham responds in verse um, eight, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And, and I mean, how prophetic is that, that word that he's speaking? So he binds him, lays him on the altar, and God sends an angel to stop him at the last moment to say, to say you've passed the test. Um, God was never going to require of him murder or, right. or child sacrifice. That wasn't the point of this. It was to, to test Abram to see what he was made of. I mean, Abraham's a different person now mm. than he was in chapter 12. Isn't that cool how like, we, people can actually change? I, I hear so much from the like people today in modern psychology. You're stuck the way you are. There's no possibility of you changing. Who you are is who you are. But God shows us again and again through almost every character in the Bible that you can change. Yeah, it's possible. absolutely. Through the power of God, obviously. It's not by your own power. but Absolutely. Yeah, you know. God God is powerful and he changes people. And, and we see in verse 14, he says that Abram called. So there's a ram that's provided, of course, in place of mm -hmm. Isaac. And so he calls the mountain, um, the Lord will provide. And it says, it's, it's said to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. 
So, I mean, what an amazing end to sort of, you know, I mean, there's more to, to Abram's story, but we're going to stop there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a lot of stuff for today. That That is a lot of stuff. So let's just really briefly, we've talked about it a little bit, but how, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ connect to this part of the Old Testament? These We're still in the first, you know, 25 chapters of the Bible. How is the gospel seen in all these different uh, stories? Yeah, I mean, I'll hit on it very briefly, but obviously the Tower of Babel story, Babel was the confusing of the languages mm-hmm. in order to spread God's or spread people through the earth. Right. And in Acts chapter 2, you have a reversal of that. So after Jesus comes and he's, he's sacrificed and he's resurrected and the Spirit comes, what happens is a, an inverse or a reverse of the Babel story, which is that everyone is hearing God's word God's message in their own language. Mm. So God gives them the, this gift of tongues so they can speak in these foreign languages. It's not random. It's not random just gibberings or is it actually languages? No, it's, it's, it's clearly like they have a message and everyone hears it and people are able to res- repent and, and believe. Mm. And so we see how God's going to fulfill that plan to fill the earth by redeeming humanity, making a new humanity right. that's going out, scattering, and bringing this gospel message with them. I mean, that's an important thing that we often miss about that story. We also see, I mean, in the example of Abraham, we see someone mediating for no, people. Newborn, and this wicked. idea of, yeah, yeah as, as Abraham, Abraham is bartering with God, he's asking him how many people, how many righteous people can save the wicked people. Right. And he gets down to 10. If, there, if there's just 10, it's this long, I mean, it's this long drawn out thing, right? You're like, why is this here? If there's just 10, God, if there's just 10 righteous people, will you save the rest? And God says he will. And, and which, what I always wish he had asked is, God, if there, is there, if there's just one, could one righteous person, one truly righteous person stand in for all the rest? Yeah. And we see that that, the answer to that in, in Jesus is yes. Yeah. Romans right? five, right? Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. One righteous man stands for the rest. So we see that, that pointer to Jesus. Mm. Also, awesome. I mean, circumcision also points us to Jesus. The joy of circumcision. This, this is the joy of circumcision. This, the, yeah, this <laughs> the, the process of circumcision is not joyful, but this is joyful. I mean, look at, so circumcision and the sacrifice of Christ are clearly tied together in the Bible. This picture yeah. and its fulfillment, Colossians 2.11 says, In him, in Jesus, you also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. So the circumcision of Christ, and that is him being cut off, right? His, his burial is clearly his crucifixion, right? So the circumcision, the, the, the cutting off of Jesus occurred when he died on the cross. And the author here refers to it as the circumcision of Jesus, not referring to his circumcision as an infant, but to his death on the cross. Right. So that picture of the cutting off of the flesh is fulfilled in Jesus. And then the last thing, obviously, we'd be remiss if we didn't say this, but the, the picture of Isaac himself yeah, the sacrifice. in chapter 22. I mean, that is such a clear pointer to Jesus. For one, I mean, you see the, the imagery of, you know, the, the, the promised son, the only son with the wood being placed on his back, yeah. walking up a mountain to his own death, obviously. But another important thing is that that Mount Moriah, is in the same mountain range as a mount called Calvary. Right. I mean, th- this is the same exact region. This is right by Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So, so Abraham is walking up this mountain. And he's saying that someday God will provide on the mountain, and the people would say that, and that's absolutely true. God provided in the truest sense through His Son Jesus. So, there's a lot, and there's a lot more we could say, but that, there's a lot of pointers to the, to Jesus and His work in in these passages. That's awesome. It's really cool to see how even this early in the Bible, 
uh, it connects us so intimately with the New Testament and what Jesus has done. And we hope you're seeing those connections, and we hope this is actually encouraging you to see the bigger story of the Bible unfolding uh, to God's blessing. Even if something is weird as circumcision, we can see the joy of it through Jesus Christ. Okay. So that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, and we'll see you next week.